Okay, and are we live? I think we're live. Okay. Welcome to the future of. Once again, I am your host, Jonathan Narvey. I am the founder of MindMelt PR and the host of the Future of podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about the future of cryptocurrency. I have a special guest with me today uh, who I'll be introducing momentarily. Um, Alejandro Machado is the uh, head of research at Value in San Francisco, California. And um, he, it, he comes very well recommended by a close friend and colleague of mine as a guy to know and an expert in the field of, of crypto. And um, I'm going to do a terrible job, as I always say, I'm going to do a terrible job of introducing my guests. So uh, best that you introduce yourself. Can you help uh, any viewers understand why you are the expert in this area? Go ahead. <laughs> sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Uh, it's good to be here. So um, I'm here, I think, because um, of a a friend, mutual friend that we have, Frank, and he also works with you. Um, we met um, probably on Twitter. Uh, I used to use Twitter a lot, not, now not so much. Um, focused uh, building and uh, I'm trying to uh, regain my focus. But um, my, like the short story, the short story I can, I can tell, I guess, is uh, I'm Venezuelan. I lived through multiple uh, scenarios where the currency was devalued and where um, there were capital controls and general controls to move money in and out of the country. And uh, I became interested in cryptocurrency as a way to kind of avert those controls. Uh, and uh, I've, I've been working in technology my whole life. I, I studied computer science in undergrad and then I did a master's in human computer interaction. So I, I care deeply about how people use technology and how societies can use technologies to, to their benefit. And I think this is what like uh, tails into what, what we want to discuss here. Uh, you, you mentioned that you're a bit of a skeptic uh, in cryptocurrency. And I have to say, I, I am myself as well. I, I think it's overhyped in many circles and I think it has a very specific purpose. And I'm not sure if it, if it can transcend that purpose because we have technology to represent money that already is good enough for for you know many scenarios, although there are like certain things, there are certain like geopolitical elements uh, in in the world right now that are making me think that we may need this uh, as as a more like mainstream technology that that will not not only be useful in Venezuela but in the, in the you know in ten years from now, we may have to use it uh, even in, in places where there's already well established technology for for representing and transferring money. That's uh, an excellent introduction about the talk. And I want to I want to get into before we break down uh, uh, maybe possibly the, the issues with crypto, uh, I want to get into maybe its strengths and uh, what what is, you know, potentially good or even great about it. Um, and I think part of my skepticism, uh, which uh, our colleague Frank helped me to understand was just the the, the different need for it in a place like Canada or the U.S. versus in let's say Latin America or other parts of the world. Um, 
So for, you know, while we're talking about the future of crypto, um, let's, let's kick off with what is the best case we can make for saying this is a useful, valuable technology that is going to be so essential uh, in the future. Go ahead. Okay, the way I see it is anyone who can have a computer and uh, in these days, that's a lot of people. And we have smartphones that are reaching uh, billions of people around the world. Not everyone certainly has one, but billions of people and, and maybe soon enough, almost everyone will have one. And a smartphone is a computer. So if you can have a computer, you're a person with a computer, you can, thanks to cryptocurrency today, have money or have an account of digital money inside or, or like tied to you, to your, uh, your personhood or your, to your device, personal device. And that is game changer if you live in a country that does not give you easy access to bank accounts, be because you are a migrant and you don't have the necessary papers to, to access one, be because it's expensive because, because banks have like high fees and they don't care about customers that are poor or, you know, or maybe it's because uh, you are in a country that has capital controls or other forms of trying to control who you pay and, and why you pay and like the, the things that you do with your money. And this can be a country as big as China or as tiny as Zimbabwe, right? Um, if you live in countries that exert like have these like extreme positions about how people can use their money or, or how or, or you are yourself an extreme, like an outlier, then it's incredible the opportunity that you have to hold this kind of digital asset that only lives, like you, you hold the keys to it and, and it lives on your phone and you can, you can spend it without anyone, like you, you don't need anyone's permission to do it. Um, then uh, that, that becomes uh, hugely useful. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of caveats, right? Like you, you need this this specific currency that, like I'm, I'm mentioning, I haven't mentioned um, a particular one in, in per on purpose because I think that we're still far away from a world where where this is entirely functional. But with the case of, of Bitcoin, for example, Bitcoin um, is the first cryptocurrency, is the most well known, the mo most widely spread, and I think the most important thing about it is that it has markets. It has markets in local places where you can swap. Bitcoin for the local currency. And so it acts as a bridge currency between possibly every pair of currency in the world. So if, if I live in Nigeria and I have Naira and I can't access a bank account for some reason, or if I live in Venezuela and I have only accounts in Bolivars, which is a hyperinflating currency, no, that, that no longer has to be the case, even if I don't travel abroad or if I can't open an account elsewhere, I can now have an account in Venezuela, in the local currency, which is the Bolivar, and I can have an account in Bitcoin in my smartphone. And so that allows me to move back and forth, especially if there's a market that allows me to move this money, uh, my local money for, for this, then I can, if I need to buy something that requires me to use US dollars, then I have something that I can trade for US dollars, which is the Bitcoin, right? And that, right. that is what I think is most powerful. So, 
there's a lot that is uh, that, that seems to recommend the use of uh, Bitcoin or, or uh, cryptocurrency in general. Uh, you've outlined some very clear use cases where, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand the value of, of why people would see this as a useful thing. Um, maybe this is... Uh, probably my skepticism or my bias against cryptocurrency, and and I, I should uh, put a little caveat that you know I I'm generally a booster of technology. I, I run a PR company that you know we love telling stories about innovation, so um, you know it's it's a bit odd for me to be such a skeptic of crypto, and I think part of it is that I live in Canada. I live in Canada where we have a boring bank system. There's five big banks. Uh, you know, generally, uh, you know, the economy is run well until recently was run fairly well. Um, and um, this may change in the, maybe even in the near future, given how uh, quickly our, our current uh, leadership is effectively shoveling money out of the back of a truck to every Canadian uh, who wants it uh, to, to sort of stem off any, any bad effects from COVID. It's, it's insane to me how, uh, how much debt we're piling up. So maybe, maybe uh, crypto is going to seem increasingly attractive to me in the coming months uh, and, and coming years as uh, our economy pancakes. Uh, but um, you know, I think that's, that's where I'm coming at, uh, at it from, whereas, you know, our, our, our colleague Frank and you, uh, you know, with, I mean, Venezuela is almost a, a classic case at this point of a, a contract, not just a contracting economy, but an economy that has, uh, where, where the government has, you know, everything that it could do to hobble its own citizens, it seems to have done. And, and maybe, you know, I don't want to get too, too deep into the politics, but it seems, you know, objective from, from the outside, you know, left, right, whatever st political stance you would take. That economy is in some trouble and has been in trouble for years. So in, in that sense, the, the, the crypto, the case for crypto in a place like Venezuela or uh, with diaspora, communities that, that come out of uh, such places. This totally makes sense. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about um, your take, uh, number one, on maybe why, uh, you know, given that there are some, some use cases and, and some clear value for certain parts of the world for this, what are the reasons why it might not take off? And uh, maybe it's too early to get into this, and maybe this is a separate part of the discussion. I'm not sure. I don't understand uh, countries that already have fiat currency getting into the crypto game, trying to create digital currencies. So like China or, or other countries, uh, I think Venezuela might have a, a like a petro based crypto they're trying to build. I, I do not understand this, but maybe you can shed some light on this and the future of crypto, where it's where it's headed. Sure. Yeah. Very, very interesting questions that I don't know the answer to myself. 
but okay, so first is uh, what factors might stop or might hamper uh, the yeah. effectiveness of cryptocurrency. So mm -hmm. I think Bitcoin has been around for about 10 years and for about eight of those 10 years, I think the dominant narrative has been, this is going to be used to launder money. This is going to uh, be used to finance terrorism. And this is like the, the prevailing narrative from that's coming from the banks mm -hmm. that don't like the competition in in some ways and also like are, are very conservative and they, they don't necessarily need to have uh, an opinion on on bitcoin they didn't necessarily study it but they are very conservative about like the way the world should be run and they're generally you know against things that both, both get into their business and, and things that are new and like are provocative right and and also governments so, some governments uh have been very nervous about these developments um and so but I, I think we've seen like in the, in the last couple of years or maybe three years we i think banks and, and governments and you know be, before that like communities and, and uh, smaller organizations have noticed that first of all like the, the problem of money laundering and terrorist financing and stuff, it, it takes place much more in the banks themselves, in the, in the current and in, in the existing system than the new system that is that is being born, right? Uh, it's still very small, like it's, it's relatively like a small amount of people who own or use cryptocurrency um, on, on a monthly basis or a yearly basis. Um, and uh, I think that this is something that you know, it, it hasn't been uh, that the, the worst fears of policymakers and, and banks and stuff like they, they haven't come to pass. And so maybe we're entering a phase where they, they are more a little bit more willing to see the benefits. Uh, and so, for example, the, the IMF, which was never explicitly, I, I think, against cryptocurrency, they were just very cautious about their statements now has uh, tweets about what cryptocurrency is and why it's useful and where it can be useful. And this is like, I think, tremendously positive. But I think that there could be uh, some elements of this that, that are, are kind of the, the coming waves, right? Because we, we might hear that like in, in a couple of years, maybe that the next terrorist organization is, is funding itself with cryptocurrency and then the, the fear will come back and then there are a bunch of regulations going to to come back down, so so that may be an, an element that comes back and forth between you know fear of the unknown and uh, desire to explore the the innovative aspects, and especially in the context of financially financially including people that don't necessarily have that access, which is what I why I opened with what the potential is, and it's it's a potential to include financially people who are in the extremes, in the in the outliers. Um, or who are subject to jurisdictions that apply these draconian uh, restrictions to their to their citizens. So I, I think it, we're, we're not in the clear yet. Like there's there's a lot of things that can happen uh, uh, with the name or under the name of cryptocurrency that can also happen with cash. It can also happen with the banking system. But because it's still kind of new and it hasn't been fully you know, accepted by mainstream institutions, then I, I think that's that's the main concern, you know, like the, the fear mongering, um, and so that that is the one. And then the other question we can we can get into 
is why certain countries are uh, kind of producing their own versions of digital currency or, or yeah. I, I would say digital currency more than cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is a, is a specific idea that involves machines producing the, the asset and, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a form of a private, privately run and privately generated asset. It doesn't necessarily depend on a central entity. And like, in fact, the, the, the hope is that it doesn't, it, it doesn't have a central operator deciding like how much to mint and with what schedule and so on. So, but but it's, it's something that kind of runs on its own or runs by consensus of actors that don't necessarily have the same interests. And so, yeah, you, you wanted so, to. Yeah, I want to jump in a little bit because I have um, a sense. I'm, I'm not an expert on money or currency or cryptocurrencies, um, but I come at it from the perspective of probably a lot of people maybe think about money in this way, in the sense that, um, you know, I, I think back to, um, I, I think it was maybe in the, in the 12th or the 14th century or something, there, were, there was a king of England who took the very first census and, uh, you know, he just, he, in order to tax his people properly and, uh, you know, was uh, uh, counted up, okay, well, how many chickens do we have in England? How many, how many houses, how many, how many cows, uh, all the rest of it, I want numbers. And uh, so he gets all the numbers and he figures out, okay, this is how I'm going to tax thing. And, and it's sort of, you, you get the same kind of a sense, maybe this may be completely mistaken, but this is just my impression of how we value money is like, you know, let's say for a place like Canada, we count up, okay, well, we have this amount of natural resources. We've got uh, this amount of infrastructure, this amount of uh, value and property, this amount of uh, um, skills that are marketable that we're, that, you know, that we're selling as services, um, you know, plus or minus uh, a variable of, um, you know, how much do people trust us and how much of a premium are they going to charge because they don't trust us, um, you know, to do international trade. And there's like a million different variables and there's some wizard uh, underneath who lives underneath the Parliament of Canada, and he sort of tabulates all this stuff. And ipso presto, uh, here's a number, and then uh, everybody looks at that. And it's like, okay, maybe. And then uh, they 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 put the the money on the international market, and it's like, okay, well, people will now, okay, now that we've got some kind of number. It is, it is what people say it is based again off those, uh, the impression of, you know, the general health of the economy and our resources. And, and that's how I understand we value fiat currency. Maybe that's completely off, but I don't know if that's more reasonable than, uh, uh, you know, how we go about valuing cryptocurrency. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, so money is fiction, right? It, it's mm. a shared fiction. Mm. And um, for our entire lives, or for, at least for, for me, for my entire life, we, we've lived in, in a world where 
there, like body has no uh, explicit backing. Like there, there's no precious metal that that is like standing on its stead. Like there, there's no. The government can decide how much money it prints every year and just, it just goes ahead and prints, prints it. It used to be doing, using physical bills, so this had a cost. Now there's no cost because it's just adding zeros in a spreadsheet. Hmm. And so it's a very strange thing that has worked uh, as a social fiction because of this wizard that you mentioned. And, and I also don't understand like all of the details myself, but um, the the consensus is that it is possible to run economies in this way, and it, in fact, it is is beneficial for for economies to be run in this way, um, up to a certain extent, because we have experienced, you know, reasonable economic growth in in the world and like prosperity ever since. Uh, well, certainly before we experienced this, but before the, the the money was like unpegged from its uh, uh, backing in in, a, in in gold, uh, and so there, there's this website called. Uh, WTF happened in 1971, so it, it it shows a bunch of graphs of of certain trends that after the gold peg in the U.S. was was taken off, uh, were just like completely upended, right? And it, it's it's fun to to browse those examples, and I think there there's a bit of truth to to the notion that it's dangerous to play around with infinite money, um, but I guess. I think some societies get there earlier than others. Like in the case of Venezuela, they they played around with infinite money too early and, and too much. Mm. And so th we, this is the state where we are. Uh, I think now you, you mentioned Canada is also like giving truckloads of money to people and we don't know where, where that's gonna end up. It, it actually, it hasn't ended badly yet, uh, but it could, um, and, and we don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't think if we will know that that far in advance, or maybe the, the collapse will be very sudden. But it seems to me that, or like governments around the world are generally doing this because they they get away with it. People are are happy. Bolsonaro in Brazil is printing lots of money to to give like directly to people, and and he, his popularity is still very very high, despite his mishandling of the COVID nineteen crisis. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it it seems dangerous to me. Uh, I. And, and this is another reason why people consider cryptocurrency as, as, a, as a hedge mm. for un very uncertain events that, that uh, are tied to the, to, to the supply of money. Because right. if you look at a, a, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, it's reasonable to assume that there will only be 21 million Bitcoin because that, that is what the protocol says and that there's a game theory incentives to enforce that. It's, not, it, it's gonna be very difficult uh, for for an external actor to change that, even if you're like a powerful government, mm. and so having that fixed supply is to some people uh, desirable or or at least interesting, or it can it can be a hedge against yeah. this, this these policies. Yeah, I think you know just talking this out has helped me to understand the value of cryptocurrency as a hedge in future. So. Uh, I've been thinking about this in the wrong sense. You know, my skepticism was uh, around cryptocurrency, I don't think is ever going to replace fiat currencies. And it's like, that's the stupid thing to consider. Of course, it's not going to replace fiat currencies, or it probably won't. Um, that's not what it's there for. It, it's like if, if I was saying, 
you know, oh, I've got a smartphone that does all these cool things. I, I can play games on it. I can use email. I can call people, but it's not helping me lose weight. So it's not the total solution. So, you know, what's good is a, a smartphone. Uh, so in, in the same sense, it, you know, I, I sh maybe we shouldn't be asking, you know, does cryptocurrency solve every problem with fiat currency or, or, or other forms of value? Maybe that's the wrong question. But then I guess it comes back around to, okay, it doesn't replace fiat currency, but actually does it solve the problem that it set out to do in the first place? Uh, and maybe it does. Yeah, and I think, uh, well, if you read the, the, mm. white, the Bitcoin's white paper, uh, you can see that mm. Satoshi had in mind uh, some of these problems, you know, the, the infinite money printing, uh, and uh, this is something that I, I don't think we've seen quite yet that it's a problem, or at least the mainstream hasn't. And there's, the, there's people that are pro-cryptocurrency that I think the majority of them are seeing that this is it's a problem or it will, be, will become a problem. That's, that's why they buy. Mm. Um, but I think that the first problem that it's solving is, is something that they Satoshi and, and the early adopters did not anticipate mm. at all, which is to provide a means of escape or, or, mm. or maybe, maybe it is like a, a little bit of like the, the idea of the hedge, but in, more, in a more local context, right? Mm. It's, it's not what if, what if you know, the U.S. Uh, prints $2 trillion and, uh, you know, like where... Where does that? Where, where do my savings uh, land? Like, where, where, like, what, what's going to happen then? It may be, because that that is a very world-offending event, right? It's going to change everything. Um, but it, maybe, maybe the, the question uh, that it's helping solve now is: in which local context is fiat currency or the current system so bad that cryptocurrency is a viable alternative for certain things, for certain yeah. use cases? Um, because it's, again, it's a very immature technology, um, yeah. markets are not, uh, I mean, th there are developed markets, but uh, like comparing to the general market thing, the international markets of, of goods, services, and, and uh, yeah. currency, it's still very, very small. So, yeah, so I, I place. yeah, I, I think that's, that's, uh, you very eloquently, uh, summarized you know, where things are at currently. And, and you know, I, I hope that it doesn't become sort of a repository of value going forward for, and maybe this is, it, it, it could wind up this as, you know, it's just, it's basically for failed states and traffickers and drug dealers. And it's like, that's not a, where we want to end up uh, enabling that. But uh, so that's sort of a dystopian look at it. Um, but I, I'm cognizant that you've been very generous of, with your time and, and we've got to bring this to a close. So this is about the future of cryptocurrency. Um, you know, where, where do you see that, uh, you know, to the extent that we haven't already talked about it, um, that, that things might go in, say, the medium term or even the long term for, for cryptocurrency? So I think one thing that we discovered in our research with the Open Money Initiative, which I co-founded and uh, led uh, last year, and, and then this became a project that continued into my, my work with value, is that 
people want the stability of the US dollar, uh, and in particular in, in Venezuela, but I know in many places around the world, this is the same. And so they don't necessarily want to hold a cryptocurrency that exposes them to volatility, even, even if it has the, the benefit of uh, having easy access, if you, have, if you can have easy access to it by, by virtue of just having a phone, right? Maybe that's just not enough. But, um, you know, this, what, what I want to say here is that stable coins, as, as they call them, or, you know, now like a new, new term is kind of uh, growing in popularity, which is crypto dollar. Um, I think that if you can encapsulate uh, the value of the U.S. dollar in, a, in an asset that anyone can hold just as a regular cryptocurrency, just as Bitcoin, uh, and it doesn't really matter like how the holding is going to be done. Maybe it's a, it's a company that holds the funds on your behalf and, and manages the keys for you and does all of the work that is required to do that. But if you are able to have an account, if, if there's at least an institution that cares enough about you and operates you know, in, in a way that, that lets you access uh, this kind of money uh, and, and it's, it's something that you, you value because it is pegged to the, to the currency that you eventually want to be able to save and send and use. And in the, in the case of Venezuela, this is the US dollar, then, um, I think we are going to see a much bigger uptake of, uh, of cryptocurrency in the medium term. Uh, I think uh, right now, the two main groups interested in cryptocurrency are traders because they like the volatility, they, they like the, the ability to, to earn money off of the, off of the price movements. And the, the enthusiasts, the, the, tech, the techies, the, the people who are, think this is gonna change the world. And this is mainly the people who are using to, to a very large extent, cryptocurrency. I think we are going to be seeing a third uh, user group, which is people who really have a need to move money across borders, in, in, and in particular in borders where it's, it's really hard to do so. Mm. Because I mean, the, the corridor between US and Mexico is pretty pretty easy. Like mm. there's, there's Western Union, like, like they're just like a thousand different um, options for you to send money back and forth. The US and the UK, for example, is, very easy, but when money systems do not talk to each other, uh, the lingua franca of, of these systems can be either Bitcoin or things that are based off of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies that that can serve as a mediator hmm. uh, between between countries and between systems. Right. Okay. Well, we shall see uh, if that prediction, in fact, bears out. And uh, I, I mean, I'm sure lots gonna, lot is going to happen in this space. Um, and and it's, I, I think it's very interesting that you suggested if these certain types of people, so basically people with money currently investors and people who are on, on a leading edge of technology, well, that's a powerful combination of people. So if anyone, huh? can, make, if anyone can make things happen, uh, yeah. it would, you would think it would be that, that grouping of, of folks. So. Um, uh, it's been wonderful, uh, talking with you about this and I've learned a lot. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Alejandro Machado. Uh, how would someone find out more? Uh, I, I, have seen you, you've been writing articles and how would someone, uh, get in touch with you or, or learn more about what you're up to? Um, I think you can check out our work 
the, the teams work at value.com. It's V-A-L-I-U.com. That's taking 150% of my time right now. Uh, so I, I don't know if I'll be like continuously writing more articles or, or doing a lot of more interviews um, in the near future because it's, it's a very big challenge that we have ahead of us. Mm. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's the, the main way to, to know more. And, and, you know, like if, if we, if we make it big, then, then you heard it here first. And if we fail, maybe it doesn't need to mean that cryptocurrency as a whole will fail. Maybe we'll, we'll move to a, a different uh, niche or something, but I'm, I'm excited about where this is going in particular. I, I know that we can make a powerful positive impact on migrants, uh, on Venezuelan migrants, which is the largest migration crisis in, in history. Mm. Um, approaching, you know, you know, it's it's just really really sad what's going on, uh, mm. and so this is why I'm dedicating my time to this. Excellent. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of positive things that can come out of it. Sorry for dwelling a little bit too much on the dystopian side of things. It's my skeptical no. nature. But uh, no, I think we had an, an, a very interesting conversation and really uh, uh, this was fantastic for me. Um, so uh, to our listeners, you have been listening to The Future Of. Uh, we've been talking about the future of cryptocurrency. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Narvi, and I look forward to seeing you in the future.